politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow scorned and forgotten American patriots to the Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for an exciting new week. And there is never a dull week anymore. Man, I I remember the times when you hit late June, early July, and things would just shut down. And August, for sure, was just quiet. Uh, Those days are gone. It is one thing after another. I have so many myths I need to debunk, so many policies and visions I need to give over that I need to clone myself. So that's why I need you guys to help me out. Go to Harwood Citizen Sanctuary on Facebook or Miniman Speakeasy, our private page. If you have not been invited, you could request an invite and uh, help me out. Try to gather some data, gather some information. Maybe I'll uh, start working on some research projects for you guys because, frankly, I need a staff. Um, between the virus, the rioting, the crime going up, the culture being destroyed, the Supreme Court destroying our values, um, I need about 50 hours in a day. And thank God I was lucky that no big cases came out of the Supreme Court this morning because I just I just can't handle more of that. Now, there's an overarching theme we've been pushing throughout this corona fascism throughout the rioting and anarchy, and that is the concept of anarcho tyranny, anarcho fascism. Tyranny and fascism for peaceful, law-abiding Americans that are not regarded as a favored, protected class. And then, complete anarchy and a free-for-all for those who are regarded as a protected class. So in other words, we have law and order, ordered liberty, equal justice being replaced for a pyramid of racial supremacism or political supremacism by the left. We all saw this very vividly when we saw the American people locked down, the Bill of Rights suspended for a lie, an utter lie, this notion that somehow lockdowns could help stop a virus, also just the lies in general about the potency of the virus. Follow me at Twitter on Arm Conservative. I don't have time to write articles on all this stuff, but more and more um, studies are coming out domestically from Europe that it could very well be, as we stated long ago, that outside of nursing homes, for all ages, much less younger people, the infection fatality rate is way under 0.1. It certainly is not more potent than the flu in terms of likelihood to die of for most people. We now know so many more people had it. Um, There's actually an interesting study that just came out that found... 40% of asymptomatic cases either don't have IgG antibodies or they revert back to seronegative, meaning they don't have any um, antibodies left after a few weeks. So when we see a universe in a given area, how many people have had antibodies, which is much greater than the number of confirmed cases through PCR testing, even that is likely a fraction of what is out there because most cases um, are asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic and even mildly symptomatic also, according to a lot of studies, do not um, have antibodies. Um, And even a certain, a small minority, I think they found 13% of, of real symptomatic cases also did not have these antibodies. Now, 
the panic media will say, oh, that means that you can get it again. So far, out of millions upon millions upon millions of cases, there is no evidence of anyone getting it again. There were a couple of lying fake news stories that were debunked out of South Korea, but that has not been found yet. Now, we don't know for sure if every single person who gets it in every single iteration is um, indefinitely immune. We don't know that yet, but what we do know for sure is that Many more people have had it because they don't necessarily present with the antibodies. Um, obviously, again, garbage in, garbage out. If someone's body was able to ward it off with T cells with inherent cross immunity or a mixture of the two, it's likely that that, that would happen again anyway. So, I mean, some of it's a little bit of semantics. But the point is, we were lied to. But we were told that we're all going to die. Lockdowns help even though they don't help. And by the way, I want um want you to go just one more uh, uh, parenthetical here. Look at an article, Google questions for lockdown apologists on Medium, medium.com. Um, I forgot who wrote it, but questions for lockdown apologists. This guy goes through every single curve, epidemiological curve in every country, and he notes that the virus took off after the um, the lockdowns. Right. It kept taking off. So the lockdowns don't help. It, it doesn't it just doesn't help. I um, mean, obviously, you have the terrible collateral damage. OK. Then we had the rioting where suddenly the American people saw one of the biggest just shameless hip- displays of hypocrisy ever, where you could have thousands of people packed packed in urban areas that have heavy pollution densely populated you know it's not like the beaches or something where you have a lot of sunlight and suddenly the virus was no longer a problem when meanwhile we are told that the big liberty bonds parade in the summer of 20 uh, of 1918 was supposedly responsible for a big part of the spread of of the spanish flu if if this were true for coronavirus, I mean, everyone should be dead by now. Yet here we are almost four weeks into this and nothing. So the American people saw on display this anarcho-tyranny. That there's nothing more sacred than COVID. Oh, COVID this and COVID that. And wear your mask. Oh, the Karens looking out to see if you're social distancing. I mean, that became a national cult. But even that cult, even that degree of Jonestown was supplanted by racial warfare because that is the most sacred of all in the leftist pyramid of injustice. I'm here to tell you there's a similar dichotomy we're seeing now. And it's rooted in the same principle. Just like if you're pushing racial unrest, you're sacred. But if you're trying to have a church open or a um, small business open, Oh, no, you're going to kill people. It's the same thing when it comes to Mexicans coming over the border. We are at a situation now where the only serious spread we are actualizing. You know, they're telling us in half the states, especially in the south, we're seeing a massive second wave. It's extremely misleading. I have a 1700 word essay out about mainly Florida, but it's, it's true for a lot of states. 
really it's a five, six, seven factors mixed together that they're obfuscating, misleading, exaggerating. If you put it together, it's actually good news. It shows a flattened curve. It shows that the virus has weakened. It shows that there's a lot of cases. There always has been a lot of cases, but that's good news because that means that we're farther along with herd immunity. And that means despite going through that much that many people, very few people are dying or being in the or getting put in the ICU now. There's there's enough hospital space. As Kyle Lamb, uh, you know, if you haven't heard the show, listen to Friday's show. We had a special guest on Kyle Lamb who really went through this. You could follow him on Twitter as well. But there is one area that I am I even I am concerned about. There is one area where we are seeing meaningful spread of serious cases and even more deaths. And that is at our southwest border, the border counties. Okay, this is really, really important. I want you guys to consider this for a minute. I want you guys to think about this perversion and maybe listen to my show again to let that seep into your brain on how perverted and corrupt our system of government has become. You see... We started out this discussion not in March when most people did, but we talked about the virus in January. And I advocated for strong action. I didn't know how serious it was. I knew it wasn't as serious as they ultimately made it out to be. I probably thought it was a little bit more serious than ultimately we know it to be now. And to me, I was like, we need to shut off travel from China. We need to close our border. Because two things. Closing your border is the first thing you do with an, uh, with, with an epidemic. It's logical. You don't bring it into your country. Once you bring it in, it's limited to what you can do. But you don't bring it in, or you don't bring it in large numbers. You try to limit how much you bring in. And number two, unlike locking Americans in their homes, you can't travel outside a certain number of mileage outside of your home. You can't open up your property. You cannot go to church. You cannot assemble. You have to wear stuff over your, a bag over your head, a diaper on your head. Unlike those things, Cross-border travel and certainly migration, but even travel, is not a fundamental right. So here you're able to do something that really does influence the arc of the epidemiological curve without infringing upon rights. And of course we didn't do that. And we brought in travel and travel and travel from China, and we didn't shut off the border until well, well into March. After we already had locked down domestically on Americans in their home. But I got news for you. Just like we had the, the visa shut off, well, not all shutoffs are created equal. It turns out that not only are the blue shirts at the Office of Field Operations at the ports of entry really not implementing the order properly, and they're not being clamped down upon. They're letting in a lot of people that are not considered essential. But they are letting people in specifically for the purpose specifically for the purpose of going into hospitals. You'd think like, hey, you're sick. We don't let you in, right? I mean, that was the whole thing. I mean, really, we should shut the border completely. But certainly, if we find you're sick, they're taking temperatures on airplanes, right? So you're you're at a port of entry. If you're like, I got COVID, I can't breathe. Well, you're not getting let in, right? We were told we needed to lock down Americans in their homes to prevent the flooding of the hospitals. And now they are literally having Mexicans come over the border and they are flooding our hospitals and and creating community spread of serious cases. See, the whole issue going on now in Florida, Alabama, North Carolina, 
And even in Texas and Arizona, not near the border, although the border could reverberate across the state and even across the country, is basically it's younger people getting it. They're largely asymptomatic and it's not a problem. And as we've seen from numerous studies, asymptomatic don't really spread. Mildly symptomatic really spread it mildly. Mainly the way you get a serious case is from a a convergence of people that have symptoms and they are not locked down. This is why the hospitals are so dangerous where so many um, healthcare uh, workers have gotten it. So what we're seeing now is, you know, it was always like that. It was always largely asymptomatic. It was mainly a nursing home crisis. Outside of that, people with certain pre-existing conditions, most people wouldn't die from it, and not that many people would need to be hospitalized. That was the general story. That's true even more now. Maybe if we have time, we'll, we'll read some stories, but there's numerous um, observations from doctors across the world and from studies being done that the virus is weakening as time goes on. So it's not just that it has already cut through the vulnerable population and it's hitting a stronger population that's naturally not going to get as sick, but qualitatively, it seems like it's weakening. What I am concerned, the one area I am concerned is the area our government won't do anything about and and evidently never did to shut off cross-border travel because Mexico, and you're seeing this in Latin America, They're behind us, right? I mean, it started in Asia. It went to Europe, went to America. Latin America is kind of the last frontier. So there's asymmetry, meaning just like there was a period of time, we had it worse than Mexico. But then in May, it flipped. In May, once it was getting better here, it was worse there. So we reintroduced into our country the serious iteration of the virus to go into our hospitals. Now, my hope is that that's just the culprit for the increased hospitalizations and ICUs and even deaths in the border counties, and it will stay there. But watch, if this spreads, that's the culprit, and you're being lied to. Right now, in the Rio Grande Valley, Cameron County, Hidalgo County, they are instituting a severe lockdown. Curfews. At least in one of the counties, in Mission, Texas, the town of Mission, Texas, they have a curfew. They're locking down Americans because they refuse to lock down Mexicans. Now, I understand that generally speaking, unlike illegal immigrants, we do want to have travel. Green card holders, dual citizens, certainly. But they don't have a right to keep working. They either work across the border, visit family, come back and forth, back and forth. I thought we were supposed to shut that off. You don't have a right. We, we have the right during an epidemic to close our border and say, look, if you're an American citizen, in or out. If you want to stay, then stay. But you can't keep coming back and forth. And if you get sick, sick in Mexico, you can't come crying wolf. Wolf, that is life. If the Bill of Rights is suspended inside of America because of the epidemic, then certainly an American in Mexico, you don't have the right to keep coming back and forth and then get sick and then access our hospitals. We could say, sorry, buddy, the border's closed. You had your chance in March to come over. You can't just come over in May. But it it appears that this started in May. And this is the problem. I'm going to have astounding data for you that you're not going to hear anywhere else. But I just want to say from the get-go that putting the border aside, this whole thing is a big lie. Because we actually have had a spike in like 20 states, many of them for two to three weeks already. Okay? In known cases. 
Now, most of that, again, it's a mixture of universal testing, testing vulnerable populations, double and triple counting the same person because now now that there's so many tests available so you know each person every few days do i still have it do i still have it i want to go back to work or or a hell or you know a hospital worker or something so each one is counted as a new case you have data dumps which are backlogged reporting um you have serology tests that are being reported as if they're new tests but really it's just antibodies people could have had it one to two to even three or four months ago but there is a little bit of community spread, which was bound to happen, especially in the states that had a flatter curve. Like I said on Friday's show, what you're seeing in these states is much better than New York. New York is bragging like, ha ha ha, we're better off than all of you now. Yeah, well, you killed half your population. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know what I mean. So many of them died. That's, that's what we wanted to avoid elsewhere, and we did. I think they would rather spread it out a little bit, have it milder and last a little longer than have that many people die. But anyway, yesterday we had the fewest reported deaths, 297. And again, the majority of those are backlogged. It takes a while to backlog. It's not like they die that minute and it shows up on the dashboard. So it could very well be for Sunday we had like 100 deaths or something. The lowest ever. Each day last week we set a record. It's, it's going down about 20% every week. So... We're already at the point where it doesn't make sense that deaths would continue to go down if the cases going up is a reflection of a second wave or resurgence of what we initially had. The de- I mean, just the opposite. This is actually good news. Tons of cases, very few deaths. This is good news. This means we need to learn to live with it, and this means we're... we're on our way to achieving herd immunity. Remember, the other side was like, oh my gosh, if this is how many people died just trying to get to 10% of the population, imagine where we're going to go getting to 70. But this proves no, like what we said, it mainly gets the vulnerable first. That's number one. Number two, it, it appears that qualitatively, the viral loads are going down. And number three, as, as it appears throughout, it looks like it's more than 10%. It looks like because of the T-cells and everything and, and the amount of people not presenting with antibodies, more people had it. We don't know how many, but clearly a lot more asymptomatically. And then, and then finally, the final factor is the cross-immunity. That clearly you don't have to get to 70% with a virus as heterogeneous as, as this one. It's not like measles and... You know, again, I mean... Think back to chickenpox. I mean, I remember I was the youngest in my family. And all us kids, there were three of us, I have a brother and a sister. We came down with chickenpox together. It was like, it was obvious. I mean, that thing is contagious as anything. You get that in the house, you know, when we still had it. Um, although that we're bringing back from the border too. And that's a whole nother story. But, um, you know, I had it in, uh, when did I have it? I think I had it in 1988. Um, and we all had it. Now, there are cases of entire families getting coronavirus, certainly are, but there's plenty of cases where one spouse gets it and one doesn't. Now, look, it ain't my business people's, um, uh, you know, husband and wife habits every night, but even if you have a, um, not such a good marriage, you know, you're going to be pretty close with each other, and especially in those hours and days where you're already kind of presenting symptoms and you're contagious, but you don't fully realize what's happening to you, you're not going to be careful then. 
But yet we see so many times husbands and wives or cabin mates on these ships where they had it, where one gets it and one doesn't. So again, that's the biggest proof to this inherent cross-immunity from other coronaviruses, um, as well as you know some people just have in their systems the T-cells are, are able to ward it off without producing antibodies. So anyway, that's the story we're seeing here. We're seeing throughout Florida, we're seeing it's good news. But what if I tell you we are reintroducing the worst cases from Mexico now? That's, that, that's a horse of a different color. Because unlike in Florida, where the deaths are going down, you look at Cameron County and Hidalgo County, deaths are going up. Last week, they had three deaths in one day for a small county. That was the most ever. In other words, in Florida, you're, the, the thing about Florida is in terms of ICUs, ventilators, and deaths, you're not seeing anywhere near what you saw during the peak. So we're not like the peak hasn't come back. And, and, and that's telling because Florida's peak was pretty mild. It wasn't like New Jersey's peak or something. But you are seeing in places in Yuma, in Imperial County, California, all the border counties, you are seeing a spike. Not just in cases, but in serious cases and even deaths. Okay? This is from the county judge Hernandez in... Um, Hidalgo County, Mexico is underreporting underreporting by three to five times. And when you look at that and the infrastructure among the Rio Grande Valley, meaning doctors, nurses, hospitals, and ICU beds, and if we have to take care of one of our population here and then uncontrolled infections coming across because they're going to seek help, you're going to totally overwhelm the system, and that could be devastating. I mean, these are the liberal Democrat county officials warning this in the, in the RGV. KRGV, the TV station they reported, that there's a shortage of remdesivir, right? The drug that's being used to treat serious cases in Rio Grande Valley. So again, that's an important metric because that's no longer just a matter of, oh, we found some more asymptomatic cases. That shows that there's people that are, you know, in hospitals, ICUs, trouble breathing that had to get this drug. The number of sicker patients, they say, has doubled over the last month. So it's funny, the media talks about a spike everywhere in the country where it's not happening, and where it is happening, they're obfuscating that it's all from freaking Mexico. And the fact that we refuse to close the border. Or tried to, but the deep state didn't listen. So what's causing the surge there is clearly from sicker patients. Imperial County, California. Okay, that's the county that borders Mexicali, town of Mexicali. San Diego Times reported last month. This started around mid to late May. Two hospitals in in Imperial County had to shut their doors to more patients, quote, after admitting scores believed stricken with the virus from Mexico's nearby border town of Mexicali. This is straight up open source. Open source. I mean, I have it from my border agent context that um, they're just letting them over to go to the hospitals. But you're seeing that in the data and the local reporting. This is going to knock your socks off, okay? So next time you have a friend talking about, you know, who says to you, oh, you know, we need lockdown, and oh, you know, cases are spiking. So first of all, one thing's important, as always, cases are not spiking in other states that didn't have much of a lockdown or got out of lockdown early. And conversely, 
some of the spike states are like California, where they had a severe long lockdown. Again, it has nothing to do with anything. But in this case, I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with. Let's compare a tale of two counties. Imperial County, California, to L.A. County. As you well know, L.A. County is the largest county in the entire country. It's actually larger than New York City. So New York City is a little bit larger than Los Angeles as a city. But if you look at L.A. County, it's larger than New York City. It's the largest county in the entire country. 10 million people. Okay? It is 57 times more populous than Imperial County. (laughs) 57 times more people. Imperial County is something like 170,000 people. So 57 times more populous. I also think it's geographically smaller. So you're talking about population density, okay? Remember we talked about this. Population density is a huge factor in the spread of um, viral loads and you know a lot of people in close contact that had viral loads and it kind of feeds on itself. That's what happened in New York. Okay, I mean, everyone on all sides of this is going to agree that, that, that population density is a huge factor. Yet I want you to see how much of a factor suicidal cross-border travel from Mexico has been. L.A. County has had 15 hospitalizations per 100,000. Okay? Imperial has had 40.1. Okay? That's two more than twice the rate of hospitalization in L.A. County even though L.A. County is 57 times. I was about to say 57 times more dense. It's probably much more than that. It has 57 times more people, probably more than 100 times more dense. And yet, it has less than half the rate of hospitalization of Imperial County. Okay? It's all coming from Mexico. The Washington Post reported on May 28th, approximately half of the coronavirus patients in several California border hospitals, including El Centro Regional Medical Center, are recent arrivals from Mexico. That went up to over 60% over time. And the same thing in, in, uh, in Yuma. Yuma Regional Medical Center. Okay, So that borders um, Mexico on the Arizona side. They saw a tripling of their cases in late May. 13 deaths. Small town, 13 deaths. Tripling, not of of positive tests, tripling of hospitalization cases. It's a small town. That's a lot of people. I'm not done yet. Our buddy Kyle Lamb, amazing data analyst, He's actually working on a really good project I could tell you about um, maybe when he, you know, a couple days from now. But again, he was on the show Friday. If you haven't heard the show, make sure you find time to listen to it. But what I'm worried about is that this is reverberating not just at the border, but elsewhere, and not just with legal immigrants and dual citizens that are coming across the border to use the border hospitals, but are they... You know, first of all, that that alone could lead to community spread. I mean, you know, it could, it could uh, in in the border states, but 
dude, where you have them coming over, you have illegal immigrants coming over too that aren't coming at the ports of entry. Even if illegal immigration is somewhat lower than it's been because of the virus, you're certainly going to have people come over. Guess what else you have now? The picking season for a lot of different crops, particularly in the South. Could it be that in Florida, Alabama, the Carolinas, I mean, all these states, it's not necessarily dual citizens, but these migrant workers. But, you know, you have some of them are the H-2A, the legal immigrants, but a lot of them, I mean, most ag workers are illegal. Could it be that they came over the border? Could it be that they are responsible for some of the spread? In other words, I could vouch for my research that I believe this is mainly a function of accounting and more testing, a little bit of spread among younger people, but it's weaker, it's, 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 it's not a problem. But if, but if in fact we reintroduced the heavier version from Mexico, this could be somewhat of a problem. I want to prepare you for that. And we got to get the truth out. Because listen to this. Let's first start at the border and then see what we're seeing even throughout the country. Kyle Lamb looked at all the data from CDC, from the census, from USA Facts, put it together. 24 border counties accounted for 3.6% of total positive cases over the past 21 days. Now, 3.6%, okay, it doesn't sound like a lot. Um, but remember, we're talking about just 24 out of over 3,000 counties. But here's the kicker. Prior to May 29th, they accounted for just 0.7%. Okay? So that's like, it jumped like by a factor of five in June. That's a big deal. Here's another thing. But now, now, now let's spread it out to the re- re- general country. For a while, and we saw this in New York City census, we saw this in at, you know CDC's data, where they broke it down racially. So what you basically saw was Asians had it the least, then whites, then Hispanics, and then African Americans were the, were the worst off, the hardest hit. As of now, it looks like Hispanics have overtaken blacks. Hispanics account for 33.7% of all positive cases and 30% of hospitalizations. There's no way, given the trend with that, that what's driving that are the inherent Hispanic population of Americans in the country. That is clearly the nuance. Now that we have all the news stories and data from the border, clearly that's coming from the border. Because remember, we're not like, for example, in ICE facilities, I told you, right, they're almost all Hispanic. We've only had one death out of 28,000 detainees. So in general, it hasn't ravaged them too much. Now, those are people who have been locked down. Obviously, they've been in ICE facilities during the entire epidemic. They weren't going across the border. You know, everyone jumped all men. They went berserk when Ron DeSantis talked about the migrant labor, you know, working camps. And his point was like much of what's driving what you're seeing in Florida now is coming from the migrant workers, the seasonal workers. And he said he added in something about, you know, a predominantly Hispanic population. And the people, I mean, the media went nuts. Just Google it. You'll see all these articles. DeSantis says the Hispanics are the ones with the dirty Hispanics are bringing in the COVID. And like, that wasn't his point. He wasn't making a racial point. He was making a geographical point. That it, it's, they, they, are, they travel around, they're migrant. 
Now, I think if, if he made one mistake, it was that he was playing the other side's game that we've been so trained to treat blacks or Hispanics with more like more respect than whites, like more than anyone. Like, so, you, know, you know how something is more tragic or it's regarded as more tragic if a child dies. Oh, it's a child, not just an adult. Oh, is that the blacks are affected or Hispanics are affected? So he was kind of trying to say that, like he was trying to, you know, be sympathetic. He was saying, look, you know, I mean, these are terrible working conditions. He was making our point. He was more like making an illegal immigration point that um, the, the, these uh, agro-processors basically treat them like slave labor, which is true, and horrible conditions. And that's where you're seeing most of the spike. And I, I think it was a very legitimate point. So he was, he was actually making the exact opposite. He wasn't trying to put down Hispanics, just the opposite. He's saying that they're not being treated with dignity. And this is why we shouldn't have slave labor and we shouldn't have illegal immigration to begin with. But the broader point is you have migrant workers spreading it around the country. You have dual citizens living in Mexico and green card holders living in Mexico coming across the border saying, hey, I want to go to the hospital. And we're like, hey, let's flood the hospitals. Well, wait a minute. We were locked down. We were shut down precisely under the guise of not spreading it too quickly so you don't overwhelm the hospitals. And now we're responsible for Mexico's cases? And that's being counted against our national count and being used as a pretext to lock down Americans in their home. So here you have this spectacle of... You know, in these border counties, they've now gone back to lockdown where Americans are on curfew, yet all hours of the day and night, Mexicans could just come over and say, hey, I got a serious case of COVID here. I need your hospitals. That is how sick and perverse our country is. As we head towards July 4th and celebrate our independence, but more important than our independence, the founding document, natural law, the rights of the citizen. And the purpose of government. The purpose of government is to protect our security and liberty. And those are the one things that they're not doing. Flood the border. Have anarchy. Exalt criminals. And then take away the rights of Americans who aren't regarded as a protected class. Meaning either you're of a certain ilk or you're fighting for a certain cause that they deem is is too big to fail. Or... You're coming from the border, which is just sacred. So we'll have every single activity in this country shut down. And like, you know, they, they talk about a lot of this also is like people, um, you know, working across the border. And, and you there's a lot of quotes in these articles about the border coronavirus cases of you don't understand how reliant we are. We have people coming to school. We have people going to work. Well, first of all, the schools are shut. I mean, they've been closed for the year anyway. But that's lovely. And I understand that. But if you're telling me that the virus is bad enough to shut down works, work within a state and certainly and even banning in some cases certain travel across state lines, well, certainly across an international border during an epidemic, you don't bring that in and you shut the border. So one of the most important things going on. Truly, truly disgusting. Truly disgusting. But um, anyway, some more news. Tyson's Food tested another meatpacking plant. They found hundreds of cases. Just one person had symptoms. So again, so far, outside of the border counties, we are seeing everything we ever said being proven correct. I just pray to God 
that their malfeasance is not going to cause a spread everywhere. There's a lot of news on that. I'm going to try to put out more on the virus this week um, than I have been the last couple of weeks just because of the rioting and everything. But we're certainly going to cover the law and order issues as well. I thought there was an amazing story too. I didn't get a chance to go over. But um, the U.S. Army tested a cohort of 640 new recruits and instructors at Fort Benning. So they went to Fort Benning, which Republicans very shortly will likely rename Fort Benning um, because they're a bunch of cowardly fools. But anyway, so they tested them on the way in. So this is a very good Petri dish, a very good case study. You have 640 new people being introduced to Fort Benning. Okay. 636, meaning all but four tested negative, four tested positive. Okay, done. So they tested negative. Eight days after training started, and they had social distancing, and they had this and that, and they had all these regulations. 142 of them retested as positive. Folks, if you're going to get it, you're going to get it. It doesn't work. The best you can do is if you know you are sick and have symptoms, you stay home, you isolate. More so than you would with a normal cold or whatever. Beyond that and shutting the border, there's not much you can do. Yet the one thing we could do that does work, we don't do. Lockdowns have nothing to do with anything. It's a similar thing we saw with the CDC data on healthcare workers. From June 1st to June 18th, the number of cases spiked 20% among, among healthcare workers. Okay? This is not in March. This is in June. When there's no lack of PPE. They all have their shields and, and um, garb and everything. But with the high viral loads of hospitals, if they're going to get it, they're going to get it. It's interesting, if you actually look in the Bible, anytime it references a plague, it talks about the hand of God. It refers to that as coming direct. Obviously, ultimately, everything comes from God, but that comes from God more directly than anything else. So, for example, with um, King David, when you know God said, I'm going to punish you, pick a plague, a famine, or uh, an, an invasion from your enemy, the sword... He chose a plague, he said, because um, I'd rather fall in the hands of God. Likewise, you find when God sent the 10 plagues on the Egyptians to bring out the Jews, number five was the plague. It was actually for animals, not people, that one. And it uses the words, the hand of God smote the cattle, right? The Egyptian cattle. I believe it doesn't use that term by the other plagues. So again, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. To this day, we still don't know much about the Spanish flu. We think we do, but we don't. We don't know much about the regular flu, how it spreads and how it doesn't. And that's the thing. Our ability to mitigate it is very limited. But by by golly, close the doggone border. Don't bring it into your country. So that's that's the story with that. Um, there's a lot more going on. Obviously, we had 
102 shot, at least 14 killed over the weekend in Chicago. Mass shootings in New York City, much higher than at this time last year. Yet Republicans refuse to have a narrative on it. Trump refuses to send in the military. And I'm sick of this stupid rally in Tulsa. You want to have a rally, Mr. President? Rally in front of an important landmark, not with a crowd of 10,000, but with a few people and a camera and give a speech. And give a speech about an annou- a policy rally, a policy that you're going to announce to clamp down for law and order. I'll tell you something interesting. I went to my range yesterday, been going there for years. I've never seen anything like this. The place was packed. I saw it already in the parking lot, and they said there was a two-hour wait, so obviously I went home. Some of that was Father's Day. But I saw in front of me almost every person waiting there was black. Now, it's not like there's no blacks in the area, but it's not a predominantly black area. I'd say on a typical time, maybe you'll have one out of every eight. Eighth person or something would be black there, whatever. I mean, I don't take a census like like liberals obsess about race, but it's not a majority black, that's for sure. And almost everyone there was black. And I thought to myself as I was driving home, heavy rain. It was like I went through heavy rain to get there and back, and I didn't get to go shooting. Um, I have to wear a stupid mask, which is a whole other story. That's what's kept me away the last few weeks, but I've been so itching to get back to the range after months. So anyway, I was thinking, you know, here you have all these blacks and, and, and a lot of and there's a gun shop connected to the um, range. So a lot of them, it looks like as they were waiting, they were speaking with the guy behind the counter. They were looking to buy guns. And I was thinking. Republicans are so stupid. Jared Kushner is so stupid. And frankly, it's racist. The notion that blacks somehow are all synonymous with beaters, muggers, rioters, and looters. And somehow the way to appeal to peel off their vote is to somehow appeal to the looters and rioters who happen to be black. Well, what about all these people that frankly want law and order and safety and security like everyone else does? How about if you had an agenda to pass legislation, not on policing the police, but to pass legislation on toughening sentences on gun felons while making it easier to carry and get guns for people who need them now that don't have a criminal record. How about that? Idiots. Dumb. But they just don't have a narrative. They don't have a narrative on the virus. They don't have a narrative on the courts. They don't have a narrative on values. They don't have a narrative on the economy. And they don't have a narrative on simple law and order. They don't even have a narrative on culture. Most people get it. They took down Theodore Roosevelt's statue somewhere. People get this. But the more this becomes a de facto, and we're run by BLM, Blood Libels Matter, the more people will just start gravitating to it. I mean, that's just how it goes. So that's with that. Anyway, I just wanted to get back to one quick thing. Um, New York Post, important article on the virus. Coronavirus is weakening, could disappear on its own Italian doctor. An Italian infectious disease doctor believes the coronavirus has become less dangerous and could disappear on its own without a vaccine. Dr. Matteo Bassetti the head of the infectious disease clinic at San Martino Hospital, said the virus appears to have become less potent, possibly due to genetic mutations. 
the clinical impression I have is that the virus is changing in severity. And I, guys, I want you to listen to the words of this guy while you see the dichotomy we're seeing in Florida and other states where record cases, but you know, no increase in serious cases and, and deaths are at, at an all-time low since it began. Quote, in March and early April, the patterns were completely different. People were coming to the ER um, with a very difficult to manage illness. They had needed oxygen and ventilation. Some developed pneumonia. The past month, the picture has completely changed in terms of patterns. It was like an aggressive tiger in March and April, but now it's like a wildcat. Even elderly patients aged 80 or 90 are now sitting up in bed and they are breathing without help. The same patients would have died in two or three days before. I think the virus has mutated because our, our immune system reacts to the virus and we have a lower viral load now due to the lockdown mask. Well, okay, so I mean, he pushes that garbage and he says that the lockdown helped, which is just bizarre. Like, I can understand if you tell me the lockdown slows the spread, but that the lockdown would reduce the viral load. That is a lot. I mean, that's really bizarre because everyone agrees. I mean, that's been historically what happens which is what it was always bizarre when they talked about a second wave being worse. Almost always it was the opposite. The second wave is always more mild. Um, again, I mean, because that's really the first thing you said it was accurate. Our, our defense systems start to react to it. Also, it just, again, it's a microevolutionary thing that you know the, the virus in order to survive has to be less, less deadly. Otherwise, it burns out quicker. But we have a lot of new examples. I'll try to gather them on my Twitter account today and tweet them out of doctors and others having that observation in um, in the United States as well. The mayor of Fort Lauderdale, who I think is a Democrat, said the same thing that they're seeing in Florida. It's just like they're just not – it's just not what it was um, in March and April. And again, that that's, that's saying something because in New York and Lombardi, it's like a huge – contrast right it was really really bad and then you know now you say it's a lot better but in florida it was never that bad but still they're seeing qualitatively it's different but again coming full circle to close up the show wouldn't it be tragically ironic if the one thing that would make it worse again would be the one thing that we could actually do and doing so doesn't infringe upon fundamental rights to shut the border we're going to be watching that but we're not going to allow the other side to push a lockdown because of a, 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 a policy that they believe in that had nothing to do with lockdown, but that we wouldn't shut our border. Lots more going on this week. Again, we're going to touch on all the big issues. We're going to have another Supreme Court case. We're going to get screwed on an abortion and a major abortion case probably Thursday. Um, we'll get to that. Hopefully, we'll have some interesting guests on. Send me your comments, questions, concerns at RM Conservative on Twitter. dhorowitz at blazemedia.com is the email. Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary is the public Facebook page. Miniman Speakeasy is our private Facebook page. Thank you so much to all of you who have sent me kind messages. I, I just, I've been inundated. I haven't had time to respond to all of them, but please keep sending them. It gives me encouragement, gives me the juice I need to keep fighting. Mm-hmm.